would please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 chapter 3 verse 10 This morning we are going to move into the fourth chapter and I want to review in a portion of the message this morning some of where the context is with respect to this. So I want to bring this back to this entire passage back to your attention. Verse 10, 2 Timothy 3, listen carefully to God's word. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostures will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing of his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and complete with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itchy ears, itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, What incredible instruction the Spirit of God placed upon the heart of Paul to communicate 
to Timothy. This is instruction to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, even to the age in which we now presently live. Help our hearts, open our hearts to know and to understand the importance of the word preached, the gospel proclaimed. In Christ's name, amen. The scene is 1984, almost 37 years ago. No, this is not my George Orwell 1984 sermon. (laughs) I am preaching in the month of December for a number of weeks in a Reformed church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, to help you also in terms of maybe what you are thinking. It was not a Christian Reformed church. The morning had about 350 people attend the morning service. In the evening service, there was about 15 people on average. On the Sunday before Christmas, I was preaching before a small group in the evening when I realized there was a large group of people who were gathering in the narthex of the church waiting for me to finish. After I finished, the people entered the sanctuary and filled the pews. The lights went out. A guitar played Silent Night as about 15 women dressed in tutus performed what they called a liturgical dance under the spotlight shining on a converted stage. The dance lasted about five plus minutes. After the dance finished, people left and refreshments were served in the back. What was bizarre about this was that 15 people showed up for the preaching of the word, but over 200 people showed up for a five-minute performance of liturgical dance. Congregation, do I need to point out to you that something is seriously wrong with this picture? I hope not. Even so, the evangelical world is paralyzed by such visual worship and performance. Sadly, we live in an age when the preaching of God's word has to be defended. Even before those who profess that they love the gospel and believe in God's infallible word. Let's put the issue clearly before us. As the Apostle Paul tells us that the unbeliever exchanges 
the truth for a lie, worships the creature instead of the creator. We have in the church those who tell us that they love God's word, but they exchange drama for the preaching of the word. They exchange liturgical dance for the preaching of the word. They exchange visible representation of Christ in film for the truth of God's preached word. They exchange a meditative homily for the preaching of God's word. They will surrender the proclamation of God's word for any mechanism that seduces the church by means of Madison Avenue. Congregation, we must grasp the power, the impact of Paul's statement here to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 2. The flow of Paul's epistle to Timothy has been moving to this crescendo. 4-2 is the heart is the heart of Paul's crescendo. It is as if you are listening to a symphony coming to its finality. Perhaps the one that might come to your mind is the 1812 Overture. One of my favorites is Raspighi's Pines of Rome. (laughs) It is so wonderful. The end has a tremendous climax of power and energy perhaps even strongly emotive, as if to lift you out, up, out of your seat as it reaches this crescendo. Well, here is Paul's climax, his crescendo. It comes with so much power as to lift you out of your seat. It is to grab your attention. For do not forget that this is Paul's last epistle which he wrote. It is delivered personally to his pupil, Timothy, as the minister who launches us into the post-apostolic age. But as Paul launches Timothy into the post-apostolic age, it is written also to us as those who stand in the same age until our Lord comes again. This particular text is delivered to you, to us in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Allow it to speak to you this morning. O church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in order for us to grasp this crescendo, we must come into the text and follow the movement, the movement of Paul's presentation. First, the context and situation. And I know this is review from our previous messages in terms of the beginning of those messages of this series. But it's good for us to review this so that we can see how this works towards that crescendo of verse 2 of our text this morning. 
Remember, the apostles are about to die. What will happen to the church when all the apostles are dead? After they are dead, where will the officers of the church get their counsel and their guidance? Timothy is personally involved in this particular crisis. Timothy seems very confused about the circumstances surrounding Paul's present situation of being in prison. In Timothy's estimation, Paul's imprisonment does not seem possible. Why would God allow the one who is designated as the apostle of the Gentiles be behind bars? Paul should still be preaching to the Gentiles, witnessing the conversion of those who have and have are lost. Paul is in prison. Timothy is thinking, why? Why? Timothy seems so confused that he is ashamed of Paul's present imprisonment. Chapter 1, verse 8. And thus Paul is confronting Timothy with a basic question. Does the gospel make room for suffering? Paul reminds him that the gospel includes suffering by reflecting upon their personal journey together in verses 11, 10 and 11, which I read before you this morning. Indeed, for Timothy and for us, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. And this situation is only going to intensify after the apostles are dead and gone. Verses 12 and 13 of our text. But how will Timothy endure when Paul is dead and gone? How is Timothy, for that matter, the church going to endure persecution, afflictions, sufferings? Deception upon deception, evil men, impostors. How will Timothy, how will all of us endure everything Satan has in his arsenal to attack the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, congregation, listen to the passionate soul of encouragement that comes from Paul's pen. Timothy and the church are to endure every onslaught from the evil one by continually embracing by faith the gospel that is found only and solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And where will we find the testimony of that gospel? It will be in the Holy Scripture. Verses 15 and 16, which we have focused so strongly about. The Bible, the Bible, the product of the very breath of God. 
from Genesis 1-1 through the future close of the canon, Revelation 22-21, the Bible presents the message of salvation through faith in Jesus, the living and eternal Christ. Yes, Timothy, Paul is in prison. And soon he will be dead like all the apostles. But you, you, Timothy, and the church will have the enduring word of the Lord forever. Forever. Do not be depressed. Do not worry about how the church will be counseled and instructed. Christ has promised and he will endure with his covenant people forever. He endures with them in his word. And that word was used to instruct you, Timothy, in the context of the covenant by your mother and your grandmother. Likewise, this enduring word has the practical use to every succeeding generation as we have outlined in verse 16. First, in terms of that practical use to every generation, to us here even this morning, to disclose the Bible discloses the knowledge of God's will. Doctrinal teaching. Secondly, the Bible exposes sin and summons one to repentance in faith in Jesus Christ. Reproof. Thirdly, to enable one to be restored and to stand upright through correction and discipline. And fourthly, to place one right, right before God in the presence of God through the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, the training the training in righteousness. The church, we, the people of God, we have all it needs by means of God's true and holy word until Christ's second coming to direct us, to direct us in terms of the practical use of the Holy Scriptures. Oh, congregation, it is this word rooted in the gospel of Christ that enables the true believer to be complete and equipped with every good work as the believer stands before his judge, Jesus Christ, chapter 4, verse 1. And hear this. So there is no mistake. Paul is not saying to you that the Bible is the manual by which you secure your own salvation 
by your own meritorious works. Congregation, to repeat, and I have said this time and again in the last few messages, but please let this register deep into your heart and in terms of your daily life and walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not divorce the author of Holy Scripture, who is the Holy Spirit, from the completion and equipment of good works in you, the believer. Simply put, the Holy Spirit takes the word that he has authored and he equips and completes the salvation in the believer, both in terms of sanctification and in terms of justification. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone applies his word to the life of the Christian. You claim absolutely nothing meritoriously before Christ the judge. It is all, it is all the work of God, the work of Christ's spirit. I hope that point has really registered in terms of this series in relationship of the spirit of God who writes the scripture and the spirit of God who equips and finishes the work that is in Christ in your life. Now follow me here. 4.1 is a transitional verse. Paul is absolutely absorbed. Absorbed in the fact that all who are dead and all who are living will appear before Christ the judge. Paul is not messing around here. Timothy must understand the weight of this. Timothy has been nurtured for the judgment day by Eunice, his mother, and Lois, his grandmother. In terms of his office, even Paul has trained Timothy for that judgment day. Indeed, Timothy's faith must continue to hold on to the grace of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ as it is found in the Holy Scriptures because he will appear before Judge Jesus. Judge Jesus. Now comes the crescendo. Paul now moves from encouraging Timothy to figuratively grabbing Timothy by his shirt and telling him to snap out of it. Snap out of it. Snap out of this state of confusion over Paul's imprisonment and suffering. Paul lays into him with all the authority of his apostolic office. I 
charge you. Do not overlook those words, congregation. I charge you. Meaning that I demand of you to testify thoroughly about the gospel of Jesus Christ found in Holy Scripture, which places the hearer, the audience, right into the presence of God in Christ for one. You are seeing here in Paul to Timothy, the master pastor, the master pastor. Timothy is Paul's choice. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Timothy is God's choice to lead the church into the post-apostolic age. Timothy, wake up. Get the point now. We are talking about a ministry that already places the church before the judge of the living and the dead, Jesus Christ. And where will the church become fully exposed before our judge, Jesus Christ? Oh, congregation, the crescendo is about to reach its peak Notice, God's covenant children are fully exposed before our judge, Jesus Christ, when the word of God is faithfully preached. You blend together. You do not abstract verses 1 and 2. You see them together. I've already been asked, even in this congregation, asked a number of times in the classroom over years, what are the marks of the church? Do you know the Belgic Confession, Article 29? The three marks of the church? Do you know the first mark of the church? The faithful Preaching of the word of God. The word of God. Are you getting it? The preaching of the word in the post-apostolic age places each one of us before the presence of our beloved Redeemer and Judge, the living Christ. Paul is swift, he is precise, he is very direct. There are five verbs in the imperative mood just in this verse, verse 2. Five verbs (laughs) in the imperative mood just in this one single verse verse as he is directing Timothy. Preach. 
Be ready. Reprove. Rebuke. And exhort. The whole verse expounds the urgency and the weight of the situation for the church and all humanity because don't forget verses 1 and 2 is placing each one of us already in the presence of God and the last judgment. Congregation, you are essentially hearing Paul's great commission in verse 2 to the church and to us. You can label it as such. The ministry of the post-apostolic church is characterized by preaching the gospel as found in the Holy Bible. The imperative is so strong and forceful. Preach the word. Humanity's appearance before Christ the judge is dependent upon the effects of the preaching of the word in Christ's church. It is not drama. It is not liturgical dance. It is not psychological homilies. It is not film. It is the proclamation of the gospel from every page of Holy Scripture. Next imperative, be ready. That is, keep your sense of urgency to place before the church and humanity the word of the gospel in season and out of season. What does that mean? Meaning whether the opportunity is favorable or unfavorable. Whether it is convenient or inconvenient. Whether it is welcome or unwelcome. Whether it is easy for people to receive it or whether people do not want to listen. In the evangelical world today, we'd rather feel than listen. Remember Timothy. Remember the church of Jesus Christ. Those living the godly life in Christ will suffer. Remember evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Preaching of the gospel will be tested. It will be tested. It will be tested. In this congregation, congregation. But the directive is to keep preaching. And when you preach, 
Paul is emphatic with three strong imperatives. Reproof, meaning to expose, convict, correct sin, the need for repentance and faith in Christ. It is the same Greek word here that we saw in 3.16. After all, you are appearing before your judge, Christ. Rebuke, meaning chide, reprimand, scold, reproach. Express disapproval, a term denoting censoring. Preaching is to place before the audience of the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ the necessity of censoring evil in our lives, sin in the lives of the church. After all, we are presently appearing before Judge Jesus. The final imperative, exhort, meaning literally to call near. Notice how Paul ends here. Notice that preaching includes the urgency also to comfort Comfort, encourage, to edify the people of God. To exhort is to lift up the people of God with all comfort, encouragement, and edification by placing them, placing you as a congregation before the presence of Christ. After all, you are appearing before your loving, your patient, and forgiving judge, Christ Jesus. But note, congregation, the urgency of all five imperatives are accompanied in the verse by complete patience. Complete patience. Perhaps we can say long suffering in season and out of season. You can see here one of the fruits of the Spirit. And it is accompanied with complete teaching. We must hold fast to faithfully teach and preach the word even when such opposition raises its head in the church. Do not forget, do not forget, it is preaching 
that the apostles left the church as, as the essential vehicle to communicate word and gospel. You must love it. You must want it. You must be encouraged by it each Lord's Day. And with the Lord's help, we will see that in our congregation. Let's pray. We ask, O Lord, your continual guidance upon each of us. You are so faithful and patient. We ask that our hearts would always be open to the faithful preaching of the word and that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ not only here, but also throughout the world, would have servants who are very conscious of being faithful to thy word in bringing its message to the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask the help of thy spirit to lead us for we understand that we presently are appearing before Judge Jesus as our Redeemer and as our faithful servant in Christ's name Amen